Hello, and welcome to the Meals with the Master podcast. Are you tired and fed up of the same old, same old religion? Do you know that Jesus himself is pursuing you? He knows you. He is in love with you. He wants an intimate and personal relationship with you, and he wants to spend time with you. We live in the land of plenty, yet we are starving. We are kept busy by every activity known to man, yet we are always craving more and more and never satisfied. That is because that hunger can only be satisfied in God alone. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. When you come to his table, you will discover he is able to do more than you can ask or imagine. He is able to save you, establish you, keep you from falling, present you without fault, and make all grace abound toward you. He is able to deliver you and protect you. And everything in this meal has been made available to you and me free of charge, paid for by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Talk about good news. Join us each week as we share real-life encounters with Jesus and chew on the Word of God one-on-one with our Savior. If you are hungry and thirsty to really know Him, or if you struggle with understanding the Bible, the greatest love letter of all, then this podcast is for you. No need to dress up, just come to the table just as you are and have a meal with the Master. Hello and welcome to the Meals with the Master podcast. I'm so glad that you have been able to take some time out of your day and sit down with me and the Word of God and with Jesus himself to enjoy our time at his table. Today's message is entitled, Fantastic Voyage. I remember as a kid watching a Raquel Welch movie called The Fantastic Voyage. A scientist is nearly assassinated in order to save him. A submarine is shrunk into microscopic size and injected into his bloodstream with a small crew inside. At one point, they are forced into the cavities of the heart and almost killed in the process. What a cool concept it was back in the 1960s that medical science would be able to journey into the human body this way. Reading the Bible is like taking a journey into the center of the heart of God. Our Heavenly Father is love. Jesus is the full expression of that love, and the Holy Spirit is in charge of the activity of that love, drawing others to Him. Paul says it this way, that you may have the power and be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints, God's devoted people, the experience of that love, what is the breadth and length and height and depth of it that you may really come to know practically through experience for yourselves the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience, that you may be filled through all of your being unto all the fullness of God, may have the richest measure of the divine presence, and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. Wow, that's his writings in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 through 20. In the Old Testament, God would give the prophets words warning of impending judgment so Israel could be spared by giving up their sin and following God again. At other times, 
He would give them words of love in an attempt to win back the affections of his people. He would remind them of all his love had done for them and tell them how much he wanted them to come back home to him. But sometimes words just failed and God had to resort to a different kind of communication. He would give the prophet a message to act out. The prophet's actions would be a living drama playing out the message of God in a dramatic way. Prophets were supposed to deliver God's message, good or bad, to a certain group of people. Often that message wasn't popular and wasn't well received. Other times the message was just plain odd. One time God told the prophet Isaiah to walk around naked for three years. Ezekiel had to lie down on his left side for 390 days and then eat food made from a pile of burning manure. Yuck. Hosea was also such a prophet, called to live out one of the most beautiful messages of love from God to the the nation of Israel and ultimately to you and I. Israel was his homeland on the outskirts of Samaria. He began his ministry as a prophet during the reign of King Jeroboam II. This was approximately 250 years after the time of King David and some 650 years after Israel came into the promised land. These were years of great prosperity in the land of Israel, however, also a time of significant spiritual and moral decay. Altars built for sin offerings became places for sinning. The people of Israel had many sheep and cattle, and some began to think that Baal, the so-called fertility god, was the giver of these lambs, calves, and the fruit of the field. Every city had its high place where Baal was worshipped. Imagine, at night, hearing the beat of the priest's music and the laughter of the sacred prostitutes and children being sacrificed. The Israelites wanted convenience and comfort and ease in their worship, so they worshipped everything. The Lord was a husband to Israel, but their passionate attraction to idols was heartbreaking, like an adulteress in a marriage. And yet, God referred to his people as the apple of his eye, his little maiden. God's love is so undeserving. It is not based upon what we do or what we don't do. He loves us just as we are. The love of Christ embraces without exception. It never begins with what we do for God. It always starts with what he has done for us. And his name specifically is Jesus Christ. Brennan Manning has a beautiful quote that I love. He says, I am the beloved of God. And my deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ, and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. So how could God's people sink to such unholy ways? It was because the priests of God had departed from him. They delighted in the sins of the people, and thus it was, like priest, like people. Because the priests were wicked, the people were too. God wanted his people to understand his unconditional and undeserving love for them. Hosea's name actually means salvation, and it comes from the same Hebrew root as the names for Joshua and Jesus. Throughout the book, Hosea shows us that salvation is found in turning to the Lord and away from our sin. In Hosea chapter 1 verse 2, the Lord tells Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. And so Hosea, in obedience to God, would marry Gomer. 
She would soon give birth to a son who would be named Jezreel, a name meaning scattered, that would remind them that they would soon be scattered in exile by a conquering Assyrian army. Judgment was coming. Soon she would be with child again. This time a daughter was born. She was to be named Lo-Ruhamah. It was a strange name. It meant no mercy. For God said, I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Later, a third child was born, another boy. God said to call him Lo-Ami, meaning not my people. God said to Israel, you are not my people, and I will not be your God. And to top it all off, not all of Hosea's kids were his own. Those were days of deep despair. His heart broke within him. But then the Lord gave a promise of future restoration and redemption. Hosea was about to come to know that God was going to use his experience as an illustration of his love for the nation of Israel. You see, God's love is unreasonable and beyond knowledge. Several hundred miles off the coast of Guam is the Mariana Trench. It's the deepest place in the ocean. On January 23, 1960, Jacques Picard and Donald Walsh climbed into a submersible vessel and were lowered into the cold and lonely darkness. The depth of the ocean is absolutely mind-boggling. The Mariana Trench is nearly seven miles down. The water pressure at the bottom of the trench is 15,931 pounds per square inch, yet there is life. Walsh saw flatfish on the ocean floor, surviving despite the pressure and the darkness. For most of us, it's hard to fathom just how deep the Mariana Trench is, but much more difficult to comprehend is the love of God. Paul was hard-pressed to describe it, but he prayed that his readers would be able somehow to grasp the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. The reason we can never reach the depths of God's love is that it's infinite and beyond measure. If you ever feel alone and unloved, or that you've sunk to the depths of dark despair, think about Ephesians 3 verse 18. God's love for you is deeper than the Mariana Trench. Gomer had given herself with reckless abandonment to the requirements of her role of priestess of Baal. She eagerly prostituted her body to the will of the worshipers of that sordid deity. Hosea's ministry had become a pilgrimage of pain. It seemed that the penalty for the sin of Gomer and of all his people had settled upon Hosea. And then, after some time, God told Hosea to do the unthinkable, to go and redeem his wife. Soon he was standing in the slave market. Imagine seeing a priest of Baal lead a woman to the slave block, and it is your wife. A terrible sight, stark naked standing on the block, but no man stared in lust at her. She was broken and haggard and thin. Her ribs stood out beneath the skin. Her hair was matted and touched with streaks of gray, and in her eye was the flash of madness. The bidding would start. It had reached 13 shekels of silver, then 14. Someone would bid 15 shekels of silver. There was a pause, and a voice on the edge of the crowd said, 15 shekels and a homer of barley. 15 shekels and a homer and a half of barley, Hosea would cry, and the bidding was done. As he mounted the slave block, a murmur would surge throughout the crowd. 
They knew him, and they knew Gomer. Surely Hosea would strike her dead on the spot for her unfaithfulness and her harlotry. But in his heart flowed love. He stood in front of his wife and cried out to the people, God says to you, Unless Israel removes her adulteries from her, I will strip her as naked as the day she was born. I will make her like a desert and leave her like a parched land to die of thirst. Hosea would go on to say, Israel will remain many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or ephod. Afterwards, Israel will return and seek the Lord her God and David her king. She will come trembling to the Lord and to his benefits in the last days. And where it was said of Israel, Lo, Ruhamah, you have no mercy. It will be said, Ruhamah, you have mercy. For the love of God will not give you up, but pursue you throughout your days. And where Israel was called, Lo, Ami, you are not my people. It will be said, Ami, you are the people of the living God, for I will forgive you and restore you. Hosea would return home with his frail wife, nursing her back to health. He would lovingly restore her back to himself, to God, to home, their home, and their children. Hosea had loved her always, even in the depth of her waywardness. And Gomer would respond to God's love and to her husband's. She would no longer say, my master, but my husband. And the name of Baal would never again be on her lips. God desperately loves sinners. He hates sin, but he loves the sinner. If you've ever had a friend who is su- or a family member who is suffering from a disease like cancer or multiple, multiple sclerosis or any number of de- debilitating diseases, it breaks your heart. You hate the disease, not the person who is dealing with the disease. God seeks us sinners. He devotedly woos us to himself. Hosea was a faithful husband. Gomer was an unfaithful wife. God is the faithful lover of our souls. We are often faithless and prone to wander in sin. This story between God and Israel is also our story. When we, like Gomer, were enslaved, God bought us back through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. God freed us. When we threw his love away, he redeemed us, not because we deserved it, but because his mercy and love demanded it. God's love is unconditional, forgiving, and embraces without exception. All are called to the banquet table. It gives without repayment. There is no sinner beyond the reach of God. We can't give up on people either. We must keep on loving and praying for our neighbors and our co-workers and our family members, those around us that God has placed in our circle of influence. Keep praying for them. Keep loving them. God's love is desperately needed. It is jealous, furious, inexhaustible, intense, and it does not quit. Ungodly jealousy is different. It's the byproduct of wanting to control and possess what doesn't belong to us. It's always demanding, actually cares very little about the alleged object of its love. In contrast, holy jealousy is at the very core of who God is. Within the depths of his being burns an inextinguishable fire of love called jealousy. It's a blazing passion to protect a love relationship that is eternally precious to him 
and to defend it when it's broken. God's jealousy is divine. And it is that unbridled energy which stirs him to take aggressive action against whomever or whatever stands in the way of his enjoyment and his relationship of those he loves and desires. This has always been the real motivation behind his judgments. His judgments in the Old Testament were an expression of his deep and passionate concern for his backslidden bride. It was a compassion that transcended the most intense holy anger. It was a love that remained steadfast in the face of human sin and weakness. And this anger and wrath was poured out on his one and only son on the cross, as Jesus would be the one once and for all sacrifice to pay the penalty of our sins, past, present, and future, and give us the gift of his righteousness, forgiveness, and eternal salvation. God does not sacrifice his justice at the price of his love, and he does not belittle his love at the cost of his justice. Someone had to pay the price for our redemption, and Jesus himself paid it in full. God says, come home. I will set you free. When you get tired of striving and wandering, I'll be there to draw you to myself again and remind you who you are in Christ. He says, I love you. If we could only feel those words in the way that he means them, we would not ever question God's love. We would say, wow, he loves me that much. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be sure to check out our online ministry, The King's Table, at www.eattheword.org, where you can connect with us on Facebook, check out our YouTube channel, and read our blog. Thanks again so much. Be blessed.